Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Give him two lips like roses and clover. And tell him that his lonesome nights are over. Sandman, I'm so alone. Don't have nobody to call my own. Please turn on your magic beam. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to tonight's episode of Knocked Mental. Tonight we have Aaron from the Rufus Cat channel. He is a musician, conspiracy theorist, and a bunch of other stuff he told me that I forgot. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is a cool little thing you guys got going on. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Aaron and Jerry. Good evening, Nish. Okay, so... um, No problems. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, so far so good. Well, all right. I guess we're gonna jump I, right in. <clears throat> you usually you do. That's why I wanted. didn't say anything. I'm like, you're like, oh, I know. You're like See, Jerry, waiting, everyone. Waiting. Jerry and I decided to have a little chit chat before we jump in because I get so I hate to say this kind of like Germanic in a way with this is the <clears> type <word. throat> Yeah. <laughs> All right, sorry. Anyway, Aaron, I'm thrilled to have you here. Um, I've been enjoying you and the Hive and your own podcast. You've got a lot of energy, and I love the hard opinions. So this is going to be good. Well, thank you. Um, didn't know that you were checking out uh, the show that I do, but uh, that's always good in here. So thanks for that. Absolutely. I know I didn't give you guys a bio, so I'll just um, throw a couple things at you. Um, been an artist and a musician my whole life. Um, that was an artist, I forgot. I am a, an unpublished author at the moment. Uh, I do a fair amount of writing. Um, I have not published anything, have not completed my first book yet. So I guess I'm an unpublished author. <laughs> so I don't know if that makes it me counts. look in. It counts, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose it does. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very creative type. I'm a contractor. I build things, fix things, create things. And um, yeah, like Jerry said, um, you know, I'm a hardcore conspiracy theorist. Um, I run my own little, you know, show that you guys are already familiar with. We call it Conspiracy or Not, Here We Come. And um, it's uh, turned out to be a decent little success. We've acquired some pretty amazing interviews. Joseph Farrell, um, Jim Fetzer has been on a few times. We've had Ole Demigard on a few times. Mm-hmm. Had the pleasure of, of speaking with uh, Michael Cremo. Uh, we had Thomas Sheridan on. And um, so, yeah, it's it's doing really well. I love Thomas Sheridan. I'd love to get him on here. I, I, I want to do another podcast so I could talk to all these people. <laughs> That's kind of what I wanted to do. I mean, it's it's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. I listen to interviews virtually all day, every single day. And as a contractor, um, I sometimes, uh, for a while, not anymore, the work has dried up. But um, I had a contract where it took me out of state doing uh, commercial remodeling for a, uh, for a financial house. Um, they're called One Main Financial. They've currently sold. They're not called that anymore. But anyway, um, I would literally drive from my house in Atlanta all the way up. I've been as far north as Maine. I've been as far south as Miami. 
That's but, a long commute every day. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, made it made me a lot of money, but I spent a lot of time on the road, and um, even even though I'm a musician, I'm I don't know I'm in my mid forties and I'm a little bit burnt out on just listening to the same songs over and over. And um, I many years ago I started dipping my toes into the uh, realms of conspiracy, and ever since then I've been hooked. So, um, you know, my quest for knowledge is uh, never ending. So, you know, I, I get to spend countless hours driving and that's, that's all I do is learn. So, and when I work, I, I'm an independent contractor, so I work by myself. And so I listen to interviews while I work, I listen to interviews while I clean the house, while I'm in the yard, while I'm driving. So that's literally all I do. And it's sort of been a little bit of a dream of mine to have the opportunity to speak to some of these amazing people that I've heard give interviews like Joseph Farrell and Michael Cremo and mm -hmm. people like that. So, you know, it was a pretty cool opportunity that came along when uh, YouTube started providing, you know, live streams. You know, um, it used to be that you could only upload 15 minute videos. So then when they expanded that and then they added the live stream and then next thing you know, people are doing podcasts. And so it's just something that uh, sort of fell in my lap. It's like, hey, I got a computer. I've got YouTube. It doesn't cost me anything. I can I can do this thing. We can call it a show. We can invite people. And and here it is. It, it works. It's amazing when you reach out to people, how many of them will respond and come talk to you. Yeah, you do it. You do an excellent job. What I really enjoy about your contribution to it all is your depth of knowledge, which we now know is because you have spent so much time listening and going down those trivial rabbit holes. Yeah, it shows. Thank you. Um, I'm I'm not the only one that does it, but I'm a little bit unique. Um, I take a lot of notes. I mean, physically, I literally handwrite. I've got books and books worth of notes that I've written and acquired over the years. So, um, I mean, you I've got sounding like an academic. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a good academic does. Yeah. Well, I take it seriously. I mean, uh, I'm on, I, I like to refer to it playfully as a self-propelled quest for knowledge. Now it looks like Nish had to dropped out, had to come back. I'm here. It always happens. Are you sure you're not pressing the red button that says hang up? I'm not touching anything. I had didn't have my hands on. Anyway, let's let's move on in. So, um, Aaron, tell us a little bit about the world you grew up in, the landscape around you, big nature, big city, uh, what what things looked like when you were young and developing. Green. Nice. Uh, I grew up in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Uh, up until about the age of s almost seven. I, I, my parents moved to Arizona, and I literally turned seven. I think it was either on the trip or like the, the week we arrived. It was so soon during that trip. Um, so I, I, it, it, was, it was a tale of two worlds, really. Uh, so up until about seven, I, I grew up in the mountains of Pennsylvania, and it was green and lush. And the winters were, you know, beautiful. Um, and then after the age of seven, we moved to Arizona, which was brown and sparse. And from then, I pretty much spent most of my adult life out west in Arizona. Um, lived in Las Vegas for a couple of years. And then uh, 
moved to Georgia about uh, close to 20 years ago. We so in one Pennsylvania, yet. like I said, it was the mountainous area. So there was steep hills, um, rolling green grasslands, tall trees, swamplands, um, you name it. We had it all, and it was just alive and green and gorgeous. You were out in Vegas before the housing boom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty nice. I think that's when it was nice. Yeah, um, it was. I, I understand. I've heard stories. I haven't been back since I left Vegas. Um, I was in Vegas from age 18 or 19 up until around 21, 22. And um, after I left there, I heard some stories from friends that uh, things changed drastically after that period. I mean, we used to get, we, you know, for work, before work, uh, my friends and I, we would go to the, the casinos and we would have a 50 cent steak and eggs. If you could get there before 7 a.m., you'd have <laughs> literally 50 cent steak and eggs. Nine cents from cocktails. Oh, and uh, and those days are over. You know the the days oh, yeah. of the 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 two dollar buffet and four dollar, oh, yeah. and I mean buffets that are good buffets with lobster and steak and you know, right. for like three or four bucks. We used to go eat dinner for four bucks. And, That's and my, like it's unbelievable. Actually, my, my friends was mom, there. Mandalay Bay was I think it was thirty five dollars for the buffet for lunch. Oh my god! Oh, my god. And that was ten years ago. I ate, I ate for free more often than I paid for it. Uh, my friends, my roommate's mother worked at one of the casinos and she, you know, they give comps out all the time. If you're at the casino and you're spending a lot of time sitting around gambling, somebody will walk up and they'll, they'll throw you a ticket, which is a complimentary meal, you know, dinner, lunch, oh, nice. breakfast or whatever. Yes. So they they throw comps out. And so she would bring these comps home. So we had these comp tickets and anytime we wanted, we'd go into go into casino and and literally sit down and have steak and lobster for nothing. Wow, that's nice. Really, you could live that way. And you could smoke you and did. eat at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You could smoke oh. in the casinos and smoke <laughs> and eat. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I already got old days. Guys, what sign are you? Uh, September. I'm a Virgo. Oh, so we're in your we're in your period. I'm sorry, what? We're in your time of year then. Yes. Here we are. And Mars so, is going conjuncting with Mercury. Yeah. Oh, this is a hard week coming up. Watch your, watch your random outbursts of anger. Watch your, <laughs> watch your six or fours or whatever. Really? Yeah, so there's some hard astro stuff this week. Did you, so this is, um, this is my favorite question, actually, that we came up with. So have you used psychedelics and could you tell us about the experiences as kind of related to altered states of consciousness? Um, yes, I have used psychedelics on a few occasions. I've had some really amazing good trips and I had one trip that sent me to the hospital and almost got me arrested. Oh, wow. And, um, and then that was uh, your, your typical standard uh, acid tablets, you know, the little, uh, paper acid tabs. Yes. Um, so the, my first acid experience was probably the, the most amazing and truly the best psychedelic experience that I've ever had. Um, besides just, you know, laughing and really enjoying the buzz, 
when the night wore down and it was time to at least try to go to sleep, which I later learned that acid is actually somewhat of an amphetamine, <laughs> and it's almost impossible to sleep on the stuff. Yeah, um, you can't write I, a bad trip out that way. I was a um, late teenager, 17 maybe, and um, so I'm not sure if I actually made it to sleep. Maybe I did, but I, and this is kind of weird because it, it it was probably affected by the work that I was doing at the time. I was working at a warehouse and I was just a stock boy in a warehouse. And, um, the warehouse was typical what you would see in like home Depot or Lowe's where they have the, the metal racks. Okay. And the shelves. Right. Um, but when I, when I was on acid and I tried to sleep, I, went into a trip or a dream, if you will, one or the other. I'm not, couldn't tell you exactly which one it was. I was literally flying through what may be considered the fabric of the universe. And it seemed like, how do I explain this? It's like, have you seen the movie Interstellar? Yes. Okay, the very end of the movie when he's trapped in the 4D world, right? Yep. And he could see almost this square pattern in all directions, right? And literally every all 360 degrees, it's just a square corridor with turns at, at everywhere you could go. There's just a million directions you could go. That's sort of what I experienced during this dreamlike acid trip that I was on. And it was like the scaffolding of the universe. And I equated it to the racks that were in the warehouse that I worked at because it was, there was a similarity between the shape and structure of these giant shelves that were in this warehouse and the thing that I was experiencing as I'm having this acid dream. So it was, it was similar to the interstellar where it was, it was infinity in all directions and every, you know, any direction you moved in, if you looked left, there would be another corridor in all directions. And it wow. was, it was a lot like the scene at the end of the movie of interstellar. There's a, uh, in the book Steppenwolf from uh, Herman Hess, he writes about the magic theater of the self and he describes, he describes it similarly, except for doors going in every direction, just door after door after door, rows after rows after row. Did, what did you do? Did you go and explore? Um, I, I moved around. The scene never changed. It was almost as though I was trapped. I wasn't bothered by it. It wasn't a bad trip. It was just like, holy shit. It was a wow, wow, wow moment. Um, and I, I kind of got the sense, like I mentioned, that it was almost like the scaffolding of the universe. And I moved around. I, 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 you know, There wasn't much to explore. The scenery never changed. Oh, that's interesting. That's, that sounds very digital for real. At least in the, what are you laughing about, Jerry? Nothing. I, it just seemed like that, that statement took him aback. 
Because he's like, yeah, it it was. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> am I am I wrong? <laughs> a little. No, yeah, I'm I'm good though. <laughs> no, I wasn't saying it was affecting you. I was. It's interesting. But it does thought. have that. That's the imagery I have in in reference to the movie. But then, of course, I threw in my reference, and then this last bit of uh, talking about it really brought in a digital framework, which seems for me. Did you ever see the movie The Adjustment Bureau? Yes. Yes. Or, yes. Was, was that movie with? Yeah, that had a little doors. Sutherland? Yeah. No. Um, that was uh, the other Sutherland. No. With, uh, Matt Damon. Oh. Matt Damon. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I did see that one. But they they, they travel through doors. The quote unquote angels. The AI. It's bots. a theme we hear about, and we we certainly see it in in the world of art around us. So it's it's fascinating that that, you know, I'm enjoying hearing this because it seems to, it's something that what, what I'm looking for in all of this is overlap. So you've given us that right off the bat. Do you, are you good at dream recall, Aaron? Dream recall? Yeah. Um, I'm not bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what I could, you know, pit it against. Well, some people I mean? I actually don't recall, so they'll like have just a, a glimpse as they're waking up and gone. And so, but I think it, Aaron, well, Aaron's had that, some lucid dreams though before, and I know you've gone out of body. So. Yeah, I'd say he's yeah, an yeah, experienced yeah. dreamer. Oh yeah, I'm absolutely an experienced dreamer. So I guess in that sense, I, I you could I would say yes, I'm a pretty good, uh, have pretty good dream recall. And so on, on, and being able to recall dreams, like if you could, when you pull them up in your memory, um, are, can you pull up specific dreams easily or it, does there need to be a trigger involved? Like you walk into a room and they, then it reminds you of. A yeah. Um, there are a handful of dreams that I have that probably will never leave my memory. They were so profound. And for the most part, I think, what you mentioned as far as um, a trigger, yes, um, a lot of times it does require a trigger for certain dream memories to reoccur. Have you experienced in these in the triggers that I, it's the best word to use for this and it's non-political. It's, it's it, when you experience a recall of a dream that has just happened, like something triggered it, is there sometimes a deja vu related to it? Um, it's interesting that you brought that up because I remember on, I joined Jerry's hive live show a couple months ago and I talked about this, um, specifically that my opinion and my feelings on deja vu, and I've had quite a lot of them in my life. Um, and it wasn't until I would say my mid twenties that I came to a realization and whether this realization is correct or not, I don't know. But at least it's the sense that I'm getting um, that my deja vu experiences are the result of a dream that I had previously had. Mm -hmm. And probably 90 or more percent of all of my deja vu experiences, I, it, they, they almost trigger a, a dream recall in, the, in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, this is my experience also, so I, I find this interesting. Um, and then it's one of the reasons why I keep asking this question of people. It, it, they seem to be completely interrelated, 
for me. I think they are. I, I absolutely think they are. And on many occasions, go ahead. When you're having it, so let's use, let's, let's dig into one of these. So when you're having uh, that experience in, in it, as you said just a second ago, that it can trigger one within it, or the deja vu itself actually triggers the dream. Have you been able to really push into it and um, get get something deeper out of it other than the wowness of it? Only lately, within the last five or more years, have I even tried. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was one thing in my mid-20s when I had the realization that a deja vu was was the experience of something that I had previously dreamed. Um, you know, we all we all understand a deja vu as, uh, um, you know, the the sense that you had done it before, right? right? So you're in you're in an experience, and you get the sense that you've been there before, you've done it before, you've seen it, you've heard it, and all your senses have experienced this before. Um, but in my mid twenties, I kind of came to the realization that my deja vus were more than something weird, more than something coincidence that I, I think probably, and I don't have a specific memory, but I think one of my deja vus probably triggered a dream recall, which is probably why I came to that conclusion. So, yeah, that's, that's what happened to me. I, 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 that's why I made the association. And I keep wondering if it's not, if there is not a possibility of, holding it for or trying to use it as some sort of a gateway. And I'm not sure how to unfold that further other than maybe there's a, it's like a time loop possibly that triggers an opening of some sort. And so you're the only person I've talked to in talking to a lot of people about dreams and deja vus that has made this connection so clearly that has a, a sense of conviction around it. Um, I'm pretty sure, uh, and like I said, I don't have, I, I don't know if I could pull one up from memory specifically at the moment, but I'm pretty sure after many years of observation, and I'm one of those people who does pay attention, mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure that that's the case, that most or all of my deja vu experiences are something that I had previously dreamed. Yeah, yeah, me too. So if, give us a little idea about your dream land, your dreamscape. Like, is it color, black and white, sound? Oh, I dream in color. I absolutely dream in color. Is So in the color, this, so digging further into that, is it a saturated? Is that like this experience we're having? How is it playing out? Um, and, <clears throat> okay, there's, I, I might have to quantify this because like Jerry mentioned, I do, experiment and i have had some out-of-body experiences so um in a when, in a pure dream state the colors are sometimes bland and sometimes occasionally prominent and during a lucid dream which is something else i'm pretty good at mm -hmm. um the colors are much more vivid when I'm aware and I'm I'm consciously paying attention, and which is kind of a kind of an odd thing to say, consciously paying attention while you're unconscious. <laughs> so, so yeah, when I'm lucid dreaming, the colors are much more vivid. Um, but when I have had meditative experiences where I um, where I come out of it having a pretty 
a pretty clear understanding that I think I've had an out-of-body experience, then it is as vivid as my waking eyes. Okay. So it, so in this, in this differentiation between these altered states, including the state we're in right now, what, so tell us about the difference when you go lucid, what happens generally? Is there a familiar theme that happens? Is something turn on and how do you maintain it once it happens with lucidity first? Maintaining lucidity is sometimes tough. Uh, there are spurts where I can just be as absolutely conscious as I'm speaking to you now and have 100% full control over what is happening in a dream. And then there are times when it's I, I slip from lucidity to REM state where mm -hmm. I'm just fully in an unconscious dream and not, not aware of it. Um, and then it's weird because I can actually slip back into lucidity. It's almost like like waking up within a dream. You know what I mean? I think that's part of the goal. So I, I do think that the you know people talk about waking up inside their dream. That's a moment of lucidity yes. during dream state. And this happens to me fairly frequently. Does um, lucidity lead to out-of-body experiences for you, or are they separate? Um. That's a really good question because when I meditate and I try to have an astral experience or an out-of-body experience, it is so similar to a lucid dream that it's difficult to dif differentiate. Yes. How do you di differentiate besides the, the, lens, the, viv the vividness you were describing earlier? How do I differentiate between a lucid dream and astral? And astral, the OBEs, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if I can answer that because it's so hard to actually differentiate. Yeah. I mean, each time I have these experiences, um, I'm never really sure. I'm never, I don't have the confidence to say this happened for sure, that happened for sure. Yes. What, so what are some what are some things that cause this though? So that cause you the lucidity? Do you stumble upon a reflection? It's awareness. It's, it's just... in, intention. I think it's pure intention, and I think it's pure. Um, uh, it's 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 just a pure awareness with intention. And I got to stress intention. There, yes. I can't stress that enough. You have to want to. You have to mean it. You have to be serious about it, and you have to be. You have to persevere. It doesn't always work. Are there things that, that you know, that, that kind of classic, you s snap out of it and, you know, you jump back in your body or whatever. The, you know, everyone has a different experience. Are there, um, are there, is there any common denominator with how you exit an OBE or a, an extremely lucid dream? Um. No, I, I couldn't even say how I exit. Okay. I, I honestly don't have any answer for that at all. I, I, it's not exiting a, a lucid dream or exiting an, an OBE is not something I've ever even thought about or considered or tried. It's never been part of my intention. Um, so it's not something that uh, I, 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 don't, I, I can't even speak to it. I just don't. 
I don't know how yeah. that happens. Sometimes like fear, you know, will make people, or there's some sort of confrontation or something, something alarming tends to uh, cause that effect. So I, I was just curious. I like that you sound um, very adept at this actually. So that, can you give us, can you talk to us about a couple of OBEs or extremely lucid dream experiences? Something to chew on here? Um, well, I'll tell you what, I, there are a couple of dreams from my childhood that will never leave my memory. They will always be as vivid as though it was an experience I had this morning. Um, oh. <laughs> and they're kind of weird. Uh, they're slightly religious based. And when I say kind of weird, what I mean is really fucking weird. Um, These are my favorite. <laughs> bring it on okay um let me actually set... before you enter that are this is something in the background that i i meant to get i find it extremely important with our under your underpinning you know are you religious okay i was about to set that up and answer that question all at once <laughs> yeah i can answer that and do the setup all at once thank you um so as a young child uh, my grandmother on my dad's side was very, very religious, uh, Baptist Christian. So that's what I was raised in as a very young child. Um, I stopped being religious the moment I became of age, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as I hit the, uh, the age of adulthood, roughly 12 years old. So as soon as I got my adult brain I came to realize that religion was a giant pile of freaking garbage I could tell you some terrible stories about the cult rituals that exist within the Baptist church itself the yeah. traumatizing experiences that children go through as they are raised in that environment it's downright fucking horrible in some cases it's I, I know so little about it I wasn't raised in the church so this is fascinating to me um well, I, I don't, I'm not exaggerating at all when I say traumatic. I mean, it is purely, it is like trauma-based mind control is what it is. Now, as an to adult... To you further into the, that paradigm, that narrative? It's to get you into it so that you never get out. It's, it's, a form of, it's a form of mind control through self-censorship in a way, once you're indoctrinated as a, in fully and your mind is locked in that paradigm, you'll censor yourself, you'll censor anyone else, and you'll keep yourself there, mostly out of fear, I think. Yeah. Um, it sounds terrible. But, um, I, mean, I, I mean, I could talk plenty on, on the traumatic experiences as a child being raised in a religious environment. It's it, everything from the weirdness, the simple weirdness of, having communion, right? The body of Christ, the blood of Christ. That's weird shit to a child, okay? That's traumatic in and, in and of itself. Right. That it is, is. That's mentally Which distressing for a child to reconcile. Well, what the fuck am I doing? What do you mean I'm eating the body of Christ? I don't understand. Why are we doing this? And drinking the blood. Which, yeah, it is exactly. Which, uh, which church was this with? A group uh, this was, well, again, I grew up in, in Pennsylvania, and my grandmother was a Baptist, yeah. so it Baptist Northern church. Baptist. It sounds a lot like the Roman Catholic, which I was raised. And then moving on to other experiences like what they call the laying of hands, 
and the speaking of tongues, speaking in tongues and laying of hands. This fascinates me highly, the spiritualism or what it, you know, that they well, call it. That, there's nothing spiritual about this. This is trauma-based <laughs> mind control. <laughs> wow. There, I swear to God, there's nothing spiritual about these experiences or about this ritual. And it's a cult. It's a cult ritual is what this is. It's purely trauma-based mind control. When you do it to a child, it is pure trauma. Yeah. And in my case, I am maybe eight years old, way too young to understand much of anything. And I'm surrounded by a group of mostly strangers Right, my family, my my grandmother was there, and and one or two people from church that I knew were there, but the rest of the people. And when I say surrounded, it's like like mosh pit surrounded. I'm talking assholes to elbows, where there is ten or more people circling a child, oh all God. of them reaching and touching. Right, they're all laying their hands on you. This is the laying of hands ritual, where you acquire the ability to speak in tongues oh. and during this ritual all of these creepy weird adults who all have their hands on you and you're surrounded you can't get out they're all speaking in tongues so you're a child and you're surrounded by a bunch of adults most of them strangers and they're they're rattling off gibberish in languages that they don't even understand languages that don't even exist and the only way I could get them to stop was to pretend. To go with it, to get out of it. That, yes. So I made up some fucking gibberish and blah, 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 blah. I'm not kidding you. I, 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 even as a young child, I had this much frame of mind to say to, say to myself, this is not going to stop. Let's fake it. They'll leave you and then they'll stop and then fuck this shit. Yeah. Yes. That you got to fake it until you make it, you know? <laughs> So I, really hope, I, I hope my salty language is okay on your show, but I mean, this is yeah. a touch. Yes, of course. And I'm, I'm, I'm describing, you know, my childhood trauma. So I hope this is okay. Show us yeah, on this right. doll where the priest touched you. No. <laughs> I, I actually have a question or a comment on this. The speaking in tongues phenomenon I've noticed uh, correlates or lines up with these channelers who start uh, what do they call light language? Repe uh, spewing out this light language, which is just a bunch of, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I can't even do what they do. Right. Do you, you, I'm sure you've seen them do this. Did, yes. Has that that remind you of of the church experience? Well, yes. So yeah, you, you know. I mean, you you really just have to question what the hell is going on, and you probably will never get an answer. Because when people are speaking in tongues in any form or fashion, it's not it's not an actual language. It's Maybe. not like it's not like somebody in the church acquires such awesome spirituality that all of a sudden they can speak Italian and then they can go to Italy and, and people in Italy will understand them. That's not how it works. No. But what if an entity is being projected through them and speaking? That's okay, possible. that's that's certainly a possibility, and I'm happy to entertain any idea. Well, my thought is, it's but the fact it's is that it's happening to a kid, a little kid that doesn't understand what's going on, is what's disturbing. I think it should be outlawed, if you ask me. I mean, it, it it is it is pure trauma. It was absolutely traumatic experience. The laying of hands, the speaking of tongues, 
Um, even baptism is a strange experience to a child. Are you circumcised? That's I am. pretty fucking traumatic. Yeah. Well, I am, but I mean, I was, you know, infant, so I have no memory. Just a little snip of your adds up. All that trauma adds up. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Yeah, well, that does stay with you. All the trauma still registers within your body. Store your DNA. Yeah, it's a digital memory. So I, I see a question in the chat, and I'll just reiterate that I was oh. born in Pennsylvania, raised as a young child in Pennsylvania, and the religion mm -hmm. is Baptist Christian. So, that was me who didn't. I was I was in chat and not listening, so I missed. Oh, Jet Pet, that's we, not you. We yeah. love Jet Pet. I yeah, I didn't. <laughs> see, I'm not on the chat right now, so I'm not seeing. I got so it. let's I continue on with your um this the setup too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now you understand my you know background with religion added in. Yes, so that I'm, is that is very significant, and I'm glad that it's come around because. This is so we've set up an underpinning of traumatic indoctrination happening. Okay, so I'm a young child. I'm raised in this environment, and um, I'm actually at Grandma's house, and I'm sleeping on the floor. Uh, my dad might have been going through one of his four or five divorces at the time. I don't remember, but we're at Grandma's house. I'm sleeping on the floor, and I have this dream. And I'm in grandma's backyard where we just, she had a great yard and a great neighborhood and I had friends in the neighborhood, great place to grow up and play as a kid, except for the religion part. But, um, so in my dream, I'm in grandma's backyard and Noah's Ark is parked in the yard and the scene is chaos. People are running around in pure panic. All right. Tons and tons of people just scattering in all directions, just in pure panic. And Jesus Christ himself is on the bow of the ship. Okay. This ark, this giant wooden boat is parked in grandma's yard. Big, big boat. Big. Christ is on the bow, right on the bow. He's got a rifle and he's shooting people. Okay. And when I turned and realized what was happening, I looked, saw the ship, saw Christ on the ship, saw him with the rifle. He's shooting people. He shoots me, hits me right in the forehead, uh -huh. literally right between the eyes. <laughs> I felt the hot bullet pass through my skull. Oh, wow. I felt the heat. There was something strange. It was hot. And then I woke up, and that's it. That's incredible. Was he that... keeping the bodies to eat later? Well, that's the end of the story. I, that, that's just one of those dream memories that will never, ever leave me. It was extremely, you know, it was during a traumatic period of my life. It was related to my traumatic religious experience, and the dream itself was traumatic by itself. But there's this added detail in this dream, which is something I always like to um, parse out is that you felt the heat so yes. there's other sense happening here and that's that's i think an important avenue to go down and so that you actually felt the heat on your head through through basically your third eye yeah that's yeah which, which is weird because that that sense in the dream state doesn't really occur very often if you know a lot of people have never experienced 
the touch sensation in a dream. Absolutely, it's extremely rare that I, in, in at least all these years I've been talking to people about dreams and my personal journey to understand what's going on, I rarely hear people talk about that sensation. And for it to happen at such a crucial point and to be such a crucial symbol, set of symbols, but symbol as this is your, this is that particular chakra, that third eye, this set of symbols that you're dealing with in your in your life that's kind of scary with the indoctrination stuff, yet you're in a safe place, which is your grandmother's house. Um, had you has this reoccurred at all? That's also where you where when you're baptized where they make the sign of the cross. Right, yeah, right on there. your forehead. That's right. Yeah. To block your third eye, but whatever. I mean, that's the same area too. So there's that aspect. Sorry. Well, I baptized was baptized by the bullet. Yeah, I was roughly seven years old, so I'm really young, and I had no knowledge of third eye or any anything beyond Tonka trucks. So, right, the, yeah, this is a very significant dream. Is it? Wait, 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 wait no, I, I did it. But what did you did you change? Did your perceptions change after that in any way? Notice? Uh, I mean, do you know? Did you notice? Anything? No, I I can't say that they did. What did you think, though? Do you remember when you woke up from this, and did you have to tell your grandmother? And oh I yeah, I told. To tell. I told everybody. I, I it, it was such a powerful, and vivid, and realistic dream, and realistic in the sense that I, I'm not even joking when I say I felt the heat. I felt a hot bullet pass through my skull. Yeah, it's amazing. Did anything in your life change after this that was noteworthy looking back? Well, that was probably a period in my life where I, I was certainly going through a lot of changes. Uh, between the ages of seven and 12, I was, in my own mind, I was doing my best to move away from religion. So it was, it was a transitional period to begin with. Nothing specific changed as a result of that dream, except maybe my perception. It was just maybe a trigger for me to pay more attention to things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> That's gnarly. So, do you, so on on this on this thread here, do of senses? Do you get other senses also? Like when you're interacting with others in the dream, does it step out from being that kind of ether energy, or um, also just interactions and smells? all this anything that takes it outside of just you and the flatness that can just be sometimes imagery i'm i'm not sure i understand your your question fully well do you do you experience um okay so do you experience have you experienced other sensations that besides that that you felt that you had a physical feeling sensation with the the bullet the heat of the bullet have you had any other experience since then in the dream landscape of that kind of phenomenon um i think hot and cold are the only other senses that i've ever experienced in a dream i've never noticed smells okay um i have noticed the, the sensation of touch on occasion. Um, and uh, I have had the occasional wet dream. So obviously there's a sensation of touch. Yeah, those are everyone's favorites. 
Yeah, that certainly is a favorite. <laughs> never, never enough of those, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. Thank you. Um, so in, what about audible stuff? So not just language. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. 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 So Good. in that sense, yes, yeah, sound is something that I, I detect an awful lot in dreams. Can you, can you give us a little bit of, you know, can you lay some of that out for us? Is it cars driving by? Is it people talking to you? Um, it's mostly people talking. Uh, yes, I have heard background noises, uh, city sounds, car sounds, uh, airplane, helicopter sounds is a big one that Ooh. seems to stick out for me. Um, it's a, a real, it's a real distinct sound when you're in a dream and uh, you hear the helicopter. That's a yes. real distinct sound. You know, the, compared to a whoosh of a car that may or may not be a whoosh of a car, could be anything. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I have detected sounds in dreams, mostly people, mostly verbal interactions and occasional background noises. Do you ever feel like you're get when you're so in interacting with others, and this is kind of where I was one of the directions I wanted to get off on is others in in the in the ether. So as opposed to the dream figure on the basic REM experience, when you start moving into lucidity and then maybe OBEs. Do you encounter people that you feel are not part of your inner landscape, not part of your unconscious that are actually entities that you're interacting with other dreamers, you know? Um, I think so. That's not something that I really had paid attention to. That's a really good question. Um, it's something that I will pay attention to now that you brought it up. That's, that's really interesting to, try to notice maybe out of place people mm -hmm. in the dream because and I guess when I phrase it that way out of place people that brings to my mind uh, a few vague and faint memories that there were some people perhaps entities and it's kind of weird entity is probably a better name for it because a lot of times in dreams you're interacting with a person or someone and and yet at the same time there's no face right absolutely. You, it's like you know who you're talking to but you're not actually looking at anyone yes it's mysterious it's really yeah it's really <laughs> mysterious, actually so that's that's a really good question and i will pay more attention to that and yes there are occasionally something i guess for lack of a better term entity or person out of place would be a good description yeah, that's I for me I've noticed that it seems like they push back in a weird way. Like I have control over a lot or I can leave or something and then there's a, the entity it seems to drive it is driving its own experience and it and that's what sticks out for me. Actually I'm like when I come back to this experience that when I'm analyzing I, I think wow this was this was not just me. Right. Do you so do you have reoccurring dreams though? I wanted to get uh the reoccurring dreams that I have almost always involve flying. And when I was a child, I dreamed almost every night I would have a dream that I I could fly. Not like Superman flies, but the way you would swim in a pool. I could I could wave my arms like I'm treading water and I could gain altitude and then I could motion my arms like I'm swimming 
or wading through water and um, I could, you know, propel myself. I love that. It, it does. There's something that seems exactly right about that, considering I feel, you know, this it all feels like different layers of pools or water environment. Do you have a lot of control when you're in those moments? Yes, I have an extreme amount of control. And lately, as an adult, I don't have those type of flying dreams anymore. And yet I still have a different kind of flying dream where I will take my shirt. And uh, I'm not talking about a t-shirt. I'm talking about like a button-up overshirt. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, not being unbuttoned, I would grab the bottom corner of each side, you know, the front corners, and literally hold them out almost like a cape. Yes. And, Love it. And, and I could run like on a, on, if I was, if there was standing on a hill or some, some downgrade in, in the landscape that I could take a few steps and leap and then flap my shirt out and literally just coast forever. And so the reoccurrence is, is a flying sensation. Do you have, so this is, this is another doesn't seem to be a common experience, but do you, are you able to read glyphs or oh, yes. words? Oh, yes. Oh, please tell. <laughs> um, well, there's really not a whole lot to tell, except that I can, when I'm in a dream and I'm lucid and aware, and I usually have a lot of wow moments where I literally tell, I can hear myself saying to myself, wow. Holy shit, you know, and, I, and I'm, and at that point, I'm suddenly extremely aware, very yes. lucid. And then I become really observant. I start, you know, looking around and, and when I see things that have text on them, I can stop and, and take the time to read it. And it's not always easy and it takes a fair amount of effort and I'm getting better and better at it. But, um, yeah, it is something that I can do when I see words written license plates street signs billboards um once or twice i uh, read a page out of a book um so yeah when i do see text i i usually will often stop and try to read it now the recall later after i'm awake is so far null i have not been able to remember anything that i've read okay yeah that seems to be tricky too I'm 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 really astounded. Again, this is a, this is a fascinating conversation. It's so rare that I hear people interacting with language glyphs, and um, I've not been able to pull anything back either. But it always like it's something. It seems so important that we, yeah. you know, that it's crossing this barrier into our left brain, and that we should bring this information back. I think probably we do bring it back. We bring it back in our subconscious and it will probably affect our lives in ways that we'll never know. Right. In subtle, subtle ways. That's, um, this is, this is good. Do you ha have, have you had this feedback because you, you wouldn't know unless you have it uh, throughout your life been a sleepwalker or talker? Um, no. Okay. No, so I, want I, I mean, maybe once or twice in my life, I maybe had a girlfriend who said, you know, you were talking in your sleep, you were saying stuff. 
Um, other than that, I, I would have to say largely no that I'm aware of. I'm not, never been a sleepwalker. Never been no had anybody tell me you were sleepwalking. Um, once as a child, I did actually sleepwalk once. Wow. Um, <laughs> and um, it's kind of a funny story. I got up to it go seems to the like bathroom. They always are. <laughs> well, this is a this is a funny one. I got up to go to the bathroom. I was probably six years old, mm-hmm. maybe six or seven got up to go to the bathroom i thought i was awake thought i was going to the bathroom i thought i was in the bathroom well it turns out i was in the hallway yes. <laughs> so, so i, I was woken up by my mom that. screaming at me what the fuck are you doing you know, yes. peeing in the hall <laughs> i do i find those so great i love those stories i witnessed my brother doing it, it still makes me laugh <laughs> he did it on the tv so do you have you had experience with night terrors or nightmares? Not well, I I don't know what a night terror is specifically, so I would have to say no. I've certainly had nightmares. Um I've been chased around by dinosaurs and chased around by zombies and you know, I've had experiences usually I'm being chased. That's the biggest fear in a dream is that something is after you and you're trying to get away. Yeah, that's it seems to be a common experience. Have you had any of these nightmares that felt maybe prophetic or more um, like it's not just you working out some sort of issue in your day-to-day life that it might be? I want to move into a little bit of this too, the prophetic stuff maybe. Um, so has have any of these experiences that relate to nightmares had a deeper feeling to them, a deeper message about them? Um, besides overcoming the fear, mm-hmm. I would, I, I don't have any sense of any particular message that I maybe was supposed to receive. And I think that getting over the fear, addressing fear, facing fear was probably the biggest message that I've taken away from my nightmares, which basically I think is probably what helped lead me into lucid dreaming to begin mm-hmm. with. Yeah. It's just being aware and not being afraid to shed the fear. Yeah. <clears throat> being able to shed fear on the spot at the, in the moment. Yeah, and certainly from everything I'm gathering in, in this conversation, you, you seem to be good at this. Otherwise, there, there, there are different directions all this goes. So on prophetic dreams that don't necessarily have to revolve around shock information do you do you have a sense that there is a way to pull in future information from the ethers well yes and no um i haven't intentionally tried to pull in future information except for only within the last couple of years that i've tried to do that for but for the most part the only prophetic aspect was what we've already talked about, which is the deja vu experience. Yes, which is very But that's, that's something that sort of happens on an accident, and you just have to notice it when it happens. It's not something that you wake up and you try to decipher what your dream was, and then, you know, of course, life takes over, and the, the whatever prophetic information you may have acquired, you know, it may not happen for years, and so it's not something that you're going to keep in your mind all that time. And when it does yeah. happen... You may not even remember the dream when it happens, and so it's that's a real tricky one. Yeah, it, it is. It's 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 definitely a labyrinth. 
That's why when I have those deja vus, I really, really try to stop everything and push into them. I want to be able to walk through it. Um, I did want to mention something to you guys that I thought you might find interesting is I recently acquired, I got my hands on some colloidal gold. Oh, nice. Just a couple of days ago. And I've only just started taking it. Hormis? Um Is that what they call it? Is it, is it, isn't there an alchemical name for the colloidal gold that people are taking? So a monotomic, monoatomic, yeah. Or white gold or white powder no, gold. Well, Hormis is different. But Jerry's what, that's what I was thinking of, Jerry. Thank you. Um, colloidal gold is, a, a colloid is a particle of one, two, and three atoms in, in either single or cluster form, okay? Uh, monoatomic gold is literally gold in a single atomic form. So each atom of gold is not bonded to anything. It is its own individual particle. Um, the difference with a colloid is that it's suspended in a solution. In this case, it's distilled RO water, which is reverse osmosis. So it's an extremely pure form of water. And the colloid is suspended in such a way electromagnetically that it never settles, if you know what I mean. It each particle or each cluster, and in the case of a colloid, it's not necessarily single atom form, although there are single atoms in it, just from the process of making it, you, you get the idea is to create the smallest particle or either atom size or one to two or three atom clusters. But the colloid has an electromagnetic field and it, it it's like a bunch of e either, you know, North Pole or South Pole where they're all repelling away from each other and they all keep each other within a close uh, proximity and, and in a suspension on their own through electromagnetism. So it's not like a dilution where uh, over time the particles would settle. So the electromagnetic forces keep these particles in their suspension and in their place. So, but the, the thing about mo gold, the monatomic gold is that it affects your consciousness and it affects your dreams. And funny thing about it is I just started taking this stuff a couple of days ago and while I acquired it at a prepper convention, which is here in town near me and at uh, the fairgrounds. Nice. So wife and I go and we visit the prepper convention to see what maybe we could pick up for camping. We do a lot of camping and stuff like that. So we just wanted to go see what they had. And, and, um, you know, I want to maybe buy some ammo, which is something I stock up on. And so we went and there was a guy who had some colloidal silver and colloidal gold. Well, I have made my own silver. I wasn't concerned about buying colloidal silver, but I don't. And even though I have some gold, I could make it my own. Uh, I'm not interested. So, he had some. It was cheap. I bought it. Just started taking it. And from the same person, I also bought a, a silver impregnated toothbrush. Oh, nice. So, I'm a believer in the colloidal silver. Oh, me too. Absolutely. Do you, so have you seen any effects, though, with the colloidal gold in the couple days you've been taking it? Well, yeah, I was just to get to that, I had to tell you about the toothbrush because the dream I had last night, I use, and I haven't used it yet. It's still in the package, just so you know. But in my dream, 
I used my toothbrush. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just yes. one of those weird things. Yes, I love that. <laughs> so in my dream, I remember giving it a try. You know, I remember the sensation. I, I remember the feeling using it. The, I, I remember uh, thinking to myself, hey, it's about time. I, I just got this thing. I should give it a try and whatever. And so, yeah, I, I had a dream last night that I used my toothbrush, which I have yet to actually use. I remember um, hearing or reading that uh, the monatomic gold is um, basically in the, in the, the, the double helix of your DNA uh, where there's a space that the monatomic gold fits in inside those the, the, the holes. I think it fills that space and opens up wormhole to, to uh, receive light energy, photonic, the breatharian energy, whatever they call it. Yeah. Monatomic is a uh, really interesting stuff. I would love to get my hands on some of that. I believe that that's what the Egyptians were eating in some of the hieroglyphs that you see where the pharaohs are being handed these little muffin cakes. Yes. And yeah. I, 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 have you ever listened to Donald Marshall? <laughs> I know this uh, is a tangent, but he talks about that, the white powder gold being the residue left behind when people use jumper. And no, I haven't, oh, no, I haven't so heard that. And that they, the Vril, who are like the reptilians pretty much, or whatever the fuck they are, eat it. They eat that shit. <laughs> like yeah. when it drops off, after the people go through the jump rooms and the stuff's on the floor, they clean it up and they eat it and it gets them high. Oh, yeah. That's that's the story with the Egyptians as well, is that... Um, and, with the um, monoatomic gold. That they, they would use it to communicate with uh, other dimensional entities. Right. And I'm, by the way, just for everyone listening, I'm not endorsing Donald Marshall. I think he's a quack. I just like the information because it correlates. You know, everyone's got a little bit of the truth. Spread right. out. Sure. Got to find it. Also. I'll, I'll take truth wherever I can get it. Absolutely. Let's add this conversation too to maybe the hive. I want to dig deeper into it. I got a hell of a topic list this week. Cool. The, also, um, I have taken monoatomic gold. I don't know that I can report anything wonderful. Um, and so it could be the person I bought it from, which seemed to be reputable, but I want to try the colloidal gold. And if you could, if you have information of where I could attain that from, um, um, while I'm looking at the bottle right now, the product is mountain well being. Oh, I think I might be familiar with, it. and they sell the, maybe I've gotten their colloidal silver before. I, feel like I, I know take that this. Name. I take. I forget what it's called. It's um it has gold in it, but it's like not. I gotta look it up. Mountain well-being, though. I'm gonna. I'm gonna check this out. It's it's weird. It's kind of purple. Mountain well-being. I feel like I got their colloidal silver one time. Um, I, the name is definitely familiar, but perhaps that is some dream recall. <laughs> so to get back on subject, um. I want to go into the, uh, oh, I, I do want to get into some of this woo-woo stuff. So just a little bit, a little bit late, if that's all right with you, Aaron. I'm good as long as you guys want to go. Um, I, I want to, so especially since we've been, you've got this, you've got this body of experience with lucidity and that line between OBs. I want to, I want to 
get a little esoteric in this idea of what you think is happening and how it relates to the experience we're having here right now. Is there a bridge? Is it, um, is there, is there something deeper going on that's connecting it all or is it all just part of our internal workings? I'm strongly suspicious that there is absolutely something deeper going on. And I've had that suspicion long before I was into conspiracies, long before I did any of my own research into the occult, the esoteric, uh, the ancient stuff. Before I learned about any of this stuff, I had the sense that something weird is going on, something. And even though I was raised in a crazy religious environment and I desperately tried to did all I could to get away from that. I still had this internal sense that there is definitely some weird spiritual aspect to life. Something just wasn't freaking right. Mm -hmm. And nobody could tell me what it was. Nobody knew what it was. Nobody was even interested in talking about it. Mm -hmm. They had no basis to talk about it from, from which to talk about it. So, um, I think we all have that sense yes. and, to, to try to answer your question from my own experience, I would suggest that when you're in a state, you're in a dream state or even a meditative state, a deep meditative state, that when you have the ability meditatively to quiet your mind, as they say, which is the same as going to sleep, it's, it's ma basically making your conscious mind take a back seat. Yes. So when you're either asleep, your conscious mind does that naturally, or when you're meditating, you force it to happen. When you can, when your when your conscious mind is in the back seat, obviously your subconscious mind is is busy, busy, busy. So the thing is that our subconscious mind is always working, regardless of whether we are awake or conscious. Yeah. So I think our subconscious mind. But, uh, you know, a lot of people might refer to their own experiences as being intuitive. My intuition says this or, you know, I'm getting an intuitive feeling, you know, mother's intuition, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. This is your subconscious speaking to you. It's always there. It's always on. It's always active. It's always busy. It's always in connection. It's connected to literally everything. Like in the Star Wars, it is the force that runs through us. It binds us. Mm -hmm. And... um and I'm, I'm wholeheartedly in belief that this is the real deal, that there, there is something going on that we are part of, that we are connected to, that we are co-creating on the spot in real time, that we can experience past, present, and future at any given moment. And the subconscious mind can tap into all these things at any given moment. So there's, the, there's a body of knowledge that we can access through our subconscious do you think, what do you think about this, this experience for, that seems so real that we're having yet the moment ends and we, it's no more real than a, you know, what a dream appears to be a memory is, a, is dust essentially. So what, what makes this like here and now so vivid, so real, so tangible that what, what's setting this apart? Is it our will? Is it our consciousness saying, I am right here now? Is it, what do you think this is that's happening? 
without trying to repeat what I've heard other people say about it. Yeah, I want your, I want what you deeply feel. We, that's the hard part right yeah. there, really, is, <laughs> is, is describing it in your own words without repeating what you've heard. That's really the hard part. Um, what makes this now so real? Hmm. For you. Because, I mean, in repeating things, that's obviously stuff we, we obviously would identify if you're going to repeat something else. But I feel like we all have a bit of the truth, a little bit of the sparkle, all of us do. And I, that's what I'm looking for is to find um, other pathways to some, I don't know what's going on. And so I'm trying to hear what other people think is going on besides the, the in quotes, experts, because I, I just feel that there's something deeper to this physical experience we're having. And I'm saying that not as anyone that's been in, you know, that I'm not bringing religion into this. Well, obviously, the universe exists in one form or another, whether it be the real tangible universe that we all grow up with or an etherical, non-tangible universe that some of us tend to explore when we go researching these things mm -hmm. and questioning these things. I think that there's, I'm sure you're aware that you've heard of, you understand the, the concept of the duality of the universe. Um, I think the concept of the duality, and I will answer your question. I have to try to set this up. The concept of a duality is a bit of a misnomer. I think there is a triunity, which is reflected in literally every single culture and religion throughout all of human history that we know of. There is a trinity in every religion. And you ask the Christians, it's Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and you ask somebody else, and it's you know similar but different. You know, you ask someone like Mark Passio, and he'll tell you what's thought, emotion, and action, and you know there are all these different interpretations of what the Trinity really is. And then there's the physical aspect of the Trinity, which is a, the particles of an atom. You have a proton, a neutron, and an electron. So there's a physical aspect to the Trinity. And then like I the mind, spirit, and body would overlay both. Right. Yeah, yeah. You could go on and on and on. I think Mark Passio is fairly accurate with his interpretation of thought, emotion, and action. Yeah. In order to manifest, you first have a thought, and then you have a feeling about that thought. And then based on that feeling will depend on whether you act on it or not. So... The, the act of acting is the result of an emotion, which is the result of a thought. So everything begins with a thought, which is the father. And then the action is the son. And it's a, it's a male, it's a masculine. So the Trinity in religion is father, son, Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is emotion. It's the feminine. Mm -hmm. So Passio describes it as a thought, which is the masculine and then the feminine, which is the emotion. How do you feel about that thought? And then the action, which is the result of the two coming together, the mother and the father come together and they produce, they manifest an offspring, which in the case of religion is represented by a male child because men are the doers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how. Mark. <clears throat> but I think that there's a, 
a trinity or a triunity to consciousness as well. Obviously, we have a conscious mind. Obviously, we have an unconscious mind. And yet, at the same time, we still have our emotions, which are separate from both of those. So, yeah, I'm I'm there. I'm following this. And so I, I want to, in ending the the live part of this, and hopefully you can hang around, we can do a little after hours that Jerry and I've been doing sure. with, um, that we kind of do as like more of a podcast. I, I like to end on the death note. And um, so all of this seems to me like they're gates, gates of perception, right? So like going into a dream is a gateway of some sort. And then from there, lucidity is a gate and out of the body. And and just different layers of perception is there a correlation is what do you think the death state is so if every so just outlining the nowness which is what we were just doing what is that nowness what is that because when i when you think on death it has an etheric feeling to it like thinking on a dream or maybe the past it's just out of reach yet I it's somewhere we're headed and um, and it seems somehow tied into all of this. What are your thoughts on it? In I think that, to all this? that's a good question. The death state. Yes. The death state, in my opinion, would be the loss of the conscious mind and probably nothing more. I think the unconscious mind will continue and I have to assume just through what little experience I've had with, you know, the dreams and the stuff that we've talked about, um, that the emotional aspect would probably hang and, and linger with the unconscious. I think the emotion and the unconscious are integrally linked. Um, that is why I think a lot of people describe their intuitions the way they do, which are usually based on emotion. It's a feeling. I got a feeling this isn't going to work out, that kind of stuff. So I think emotion is tied directly to the unconscious. And I think the death state is probably a condition where the conscious mind ceases to exist. I like that. And I can certainly pull up to that. It's also... We're all going to get there at this point too. Also, let's, let's open up to the chat. We like to ask questions. Um, so I haven't been looking, I know it looks like Jerry's up in here though, <laughs> carrying on. Uh. Um, so any questions for Aaron, please put in, in all caps and we'll see what you have. <clears throat> yeah. I think the, I think the unconscious mind is, is everywhere. It has access to all things at all times. And I don't think that that would change with death from all the stories of people having NDEs or near-death experiences, from the stories that I hear from the Vedic texts, stories that I hear from uh, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, that it's, um, it's, it's very, very similar to the dream state or the unconscious um, that you have access to information 
You have access to all places at all times, literally all places, meaning anywhere in the universe, anywhere on this planet, anywhere in the universe, at any given time, future, present, or past. And I don't think that the unconscious or the subconscious mind ever disappears. There, I get a sense, especially in, in ruminating with what what you've been saying here too, of the, um, the importance of emotion. And it, and in a way it's like, I've got this imagery of like a treasure chest, like the emotions really what we keep, we keep the emotional content that sticks out from dreams, from memories. And then as we move through that gate into the death state in the shedding that goes on, like there's, I don't think that can be understated enough or overstated enough really. It, it does it seem like it is real it's a key component here and yet it's also one of the things that seems deeply human or deeply entrenched in hubris if you will um uh. <laughs> oh whenever and we can we can get into this conversation yeah, let's say that for um, later. after hours. So we'll go with the question. Jerry, okay, so, so Omar, asked, Omar asks, <laughs> why do you think we are left out of the real reality and left with what we read and write and create and told that is reality? Because in a sense, it is reality. I mean, there it certainly is reality. There's the concept that we live in a matrix. There's the concept that you know, physicists will talk about all the space in between atoms, which is 99.999% empty space. So they say we're really not here. But at the same time, if I punch you in the face, your nose is going to bleed. Mm. So there is a reality, a tangible reality that is very real. It hurts when I bang my elbow. There's something very real about that. When I bang my elbow in a dream, it doesn't seem to hurt as much. So apparently there is something very real to this tangible world that we live in. And um, back to the question, why do you think we are left out of the real reality, left with what we see and create? Um, he actually, he, he followed it up with, he said, not really why, but more like, do you think? <laughs> so I'm just adding that. Okay, I see that there. Um, Hmm. Well, we most of the people in the chat, Omar and Greatest Potential, and some of the other people that I recognize in the chat here, are fairly into the conspiratorial, and we all understand that there is a control factor, that it's a mass mind control. I think that the power of the human mind is probably the greatest fear of those who would control us. Mm-hmm. Um, the power of the human mind is absolutely fucking extraordinary. I've experienced it. I've used it to great success on many occasions, sometimes just simply with the power of my own voice, which is pretty important, by the way. And for those of us listening and tuning in, anyone in the sound of my voice, um, I would urge you to speak up more often and make waves when you're out in public. I'll give you an example. Um, I'll be quick about this. 
Bank of America used to be, they used to have satellite stores inside the Kroger shopping centers. Now there's a Kroger right across the street from me. So I could literally go leave my front door, go do my banking and be home. I'm not shitting you in about eight minutes or less. Leave my front door, go to the bank, do my banking and come home in under 10 minutes. Now they've closed all those satellite stores. I have to go 12 to 15 minutes, one direction to the closest freestanding corporate bank store, bank house. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, not only that, but when I get there, the lines are crazy because all the satellite stores, it's the only place people do their banking now. So now I get there and these got these terrible long lines and I'm in the line and I'm bitching. I'm raising hell. People are looking at me. I'm raising a stink. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'll give you another example where, where <laughs> I had actually some, besides just raising hell and making myself look like an ass at the bank, um, <laughs> I, I, I've acquired free food. The power of my voice has a monetary value in the form of haggling. Yes, yes. Okay. If, if you go to buy something from a private individual and they want 50 bucks for it and you hand them 50 bucks, you lost because you didn't even try. If you say, right, I'll give this. you 40 bucks, I'll give yeah. you 45 bucks. And he's like, nah, all right, I'll give you 48 bucks. Well, it may be two bucks. But you there's made money with the power of your voice. Too. You made right. money with the power of your voice. It's a contract. And there's something, there is something about that greater will in those kinds of interactions. That's why I love those one-on-one. -on -one, um, so, well, they've run those out, the mom and pop experience. In this terrible world that we live in where everybody is online on YouTube and blogs and vlogs and all over the internet and everybody's, you know, bitching about why this is bad. And there's a lot of people doing good work exposing a lot of stuff. And that's great. Yes. But, you know, the powers that be don't give a shit about my YouTube channel. What they care about is real people in real time raising hell in real environment. So I would urge everyone in the sound of my voice to use your voice physically, not just on YouTube, not just to try to make, you know, people aware of this or that. Do it in real life. Do it in public. And don't be afraid to stand out. Don't be afraid to be a sore thumb. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. I was at a restaurant and I travel. I told you I, I travel out of state and I like to sit down to a good meal, steak and glass of wine. And so I usually go to the bar. I'll go to Longhorn or I'll go to Applebee's if there's nothing else better. <clears throat> and um, I usually have to sit at the bar because I'm usually alone and I have to chat with people. So I'm at the bar one, one, one day out of town, out of state. I'm at a, uh, I think a Texas Roadhouse, and um, I, I ordered a fillet, and I do that very often. I treat myself to a, a nice steak, so, and I cook fillet at home a lot too. Anyway, usually at, at the restaurant you can order a six ounce or an eight ounce. Sometimes it's a you know six or a nine ounce fillet. So um, I ordered the nine ounce, and they brought it to me, and it was really small. And I said to the waitress. Um, I thought I ordered the nine and she said, yeah, that is the nine. I said, yeah, no, that's not the nine. <laughs> and you know, her and I went round and round for a few minutes and the people at the bar are starting to, you know, pay attention. And she said, would you like me to get the manager? I said, yeah, please. So <laughs> she gets the manager, manager comes over and, um, I, uh, 
basically did the same thing with her. You know, this is, I, I eat steaks all the time. I, eat, I order fillets all the freaking time. I know what a nine ounce, this is not a nine ounce. She said, yeah, it cooks down, you know, they shrink. I said, sweetheart, it's a fucking fillet. There's no fat in fillets. They don't shrink. And now by this time, I've got eight or 10 people at the bar who have stopped chatting with each other and are now listening to me interact with the manager. Well, end of the story is she brought me a, a fairly good sized plate of fillet medallions and a pile of a sizable pile of uh, mushrooms. Why? Because I was not afraid to speak up. And because you questioned, you know, the whole power of questioning also is, is, is alarming. You know, it, it, there's an urgency, an awareness of the moment happens when we question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, yeah, I wasn't afraid. I was causing a little bit of a scene. People mm -hmm. were paying attention and I wasn't afraid to use my voice and it worked. It worked. I got some free food out of it. Right. And all because of, you know, you weren't going to, that wasn't going to happen. And what happened is you noticed what you ordered was not correct. And they expect to have a little, I'm sorry, sorry, and move on with it. And then you question and pull it into the now. Um, really, this is not how it usually is. So there, that took it to a whole different level. I got the manager at a, um, at the Honda dealer <laughs> to, uh, literally give me half off of the diagnostic fee that they tried to charge me because they couldn't solve the problem. And I ultimately solved the problem. Are we still live? I heard a yeah, ding no, dong. Nish dropped off. Um, car dealerships are notoriously easy to bargain with because all their shit's marked up a thousand percent. Well, this was a labor charge. It was a diagnostic fee. They tried to charge me twice because they couldn't solve the problem and they needed to keep it longer. <laughs> and then I ultimately solved the problem, which really wasn't that difficult to solve. And I went down there and raised hell. And me and the manager went round and round and round. And I ultimately got a little bit loud, started creating more of a scene. And uh, once again, it's because I wasn't afraid to stand out. I wasn't afraid to speak up. I wasn't afraid to cause a scene. And so ultimately... I was, uh, yeah, I won the manager. I, I am exactly the same way. I will always complain if I have a problem because you can and you get, you get free shit with it. So um, the thing is, if more people complained, the, our masters would do something about it. Correct. But, you know, I'm standing in line at the bank and there's probably 15 or 20 people in line and there's one person raising a stink. That means... That they're, you know, the 99%, they don't care. They'll stand there as long as they need to. Of course, they're well-programmed well robots who don't want to make a stink. They're being polite. It's not complaining, form though. Of mind it's, it's literally questioning. And it's, it's questioning what's being presented and questioning what exactly happened in conjunction with what you asked for or were expecting. And that is the bigger power there, I think, the power of the question rather than complaining. I don't know the light of the, I don't know. There's I have a difference question for me here, there. by the way. Go ahead. Uh, from Greatest Potential, he asks, did you relate your vivid arc dream to your grandmother? I did. And I don't remember, I, I can't say I recall the response. And I was, I was probably six-ish, maybe seven around the time that happened. Um, 
and it was probably a patronizing response, you know, probably not taken too seriously. And, you know, I'll, I'll throw one more at you because this happened an, another dream in similar vein as the one that I told you about. And this is after I had moved away from religion. I was probably a good 13 or 14. Um, I was living with my father and his third wife. And I had a dream that I woke up from my, in my dream, I woke up and I went to my closet, opened the closet door. Standing in my closet was Jesus Christ. And there were three angels standing on either side of him. They were short. They were maybe a foot and a half, two feet tall. They were tiny compared to, you know, he was grown man, six foot size. Like grays um, and a tall white. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I, I recognized him as Christ. Jesus was standing in my closet with three little angels. And there was nothing significant about that, except when I went downstairs to tell my parents, they were frying onions. And it's just bizarre. And it's just one of those, it's, it's another one of those dreams that will never, I'll always remember it. And I don't know why. I have no idea the significance. It's just bizarre. Did Jesus is in my closet. That's strange. And did you also get the sense of smell in that at all? I think you said you don't smell but in dreams. You know, that's amazing that you, you mentioned that because until you mentioned it, I, I may recall smelling the cooking of onions. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's probably the only time I've ever noticed the sensation of smell in a dream. And there, well, it's very distinct smell as well, but it, it drew in, it was part of what drew you downstairs, the whole, they were down there. Yeah. Well, I mean, my parents cooking onions downstairs, that was all part of the dream as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Interesting. The Jesus imagery is interesting. So there's only two of those that I have <laughs> relating to the, you know, the Jesus imagery is the, the two that I just mentioned. Um, so you asked earlier about reoccurring dreams. That's the only time I've had a, a reoccurring Jesus theme. Yeah, but that's a theme and not actually a reoccurring. Yeah, yeah, theme. yeah. Although they do, they do play together. You know, sometimes it seems like I have I I find myself in places I know the place. So it's like this same warehouse or this same street or you know, but maybe it looks different. But it's familiar. Yeah. The familiar the familiar aspect. So I think since we've run real long, and if there are no more questions, I've been looking at the chat. So if you two have seen any other questions, we'll end the live session of this. No, I, I haven't seen any more questions. And we're, we've only been on for an hour. I don't know how Okay, I, I thought you gave us works. the hour notice. It, it says we've been live for an hour. Um, we started a little bit late. I think we're at an hour and a half, Mark. I see two hours. Started streaming two hours ago. Okay, on the live, it doesn't matter. All right, so there you go. It's that's a show. <laughs> yeah, thanks thank everybody you so much, everyone, Aunt Jerry and and Aaron. Thank, thank you. you oh, thanks for having me. You guys are awesome. Anytime. And if anyone has any suggestions of people they'd like to see come on Nox Mente, please uh, shoot me an email, Jerry Cthulhu at Gmail. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to the new channel because in Next week, this is the last live show we're going to have on my channel.
next week we're moving to our own channel for the the uh this podcast the show whatever and some other stuff we've got cooked up so uh thanks a lot and you guys well, all take care a, what i do have a suggestion jerry yeah who um if you re- recall the last uh, i don't know a month or so ago when i was on your hive show i brought up the idea of attempting to have the same dream working yeah, yeah. with friends family mm-hmm. to a, try and least attempt to meet up in a dream or have the same dream do you remember that conversation absolutely we were looking for the next major energetic event yeah so i mean i, I know you're, you're looking to shut down the show right now and it's probably not the best time to bring it up but um, I just think that that's a, it's something I've tried on many occasions and I can't seem to get anybody interested enough to really try. Well, why We're, don't we save I'm that interested. for our round table yes, and try it with that group. So mm-hmm. that's going to be all strong, uh, lucid dreamers and, you know, people who could do it. Okay. Not people like me. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a good idea. And I, I do want to try that. I would love to get a more experimental, you know areas of investigation so. yeah and it's something that's going to require a serious group of people who consistently try on a regular occasion because um, it's not something that you're going to anybody's going to be probably i i suspect it's not something that's going to happen certainly on the first try this is uh, effort and it's like a muscle you know we just have to start building upon it even just talking like this with these shows which is what jerry and i wanted to do is just we're bringing forth this we're opening this gate in the unconscious or the in the ethers into here you know this we're building a bridge so just this we're hoping for more dream recall and possible meetups which is what you're talking about Aaron so yeah this I'm- uh Dr. Michael in the chat he says um um a practice telepathic connection which is a really excellent way to to phrase it um I recall a moment sitting in the car with my brother. His name is Scott. Many years ago, I'm probably 19, 20 years old, and um, we would drive to work together. And we would some. It was a silent moment where nobody was speaking. And in my mind, I said, "Scott." And he turned to me and he said, "What?" But I didn't verbalize anything. I just said oh, it in yes. my mind. I love that. It's possible. It's so, really possible. Uh, the power of the human mind is, is truly amazing, and it's something that we should actually practice. And like I said, it's it's the one thing that our masters fear the most is us using the power of our mind. I think it's never been more important than now. It's a really it's what we have to do now. I think it's important for people to start focusing on this. If we want to get out, we have to go deeper in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. On that note. On that note. All right. She drops off on that note. <laughs> on that note. Good night, everybody. Take care. And we'll talk to you next week on the new channel. Either. All right. It's not the cool. same bat channel. Same bat time, though. Goodbye. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Jerry.